Welcome to The Coaching Podcast with your hosts, Emma Doyle and Simon Blair, coach for success in sport and business. Hello and welcome to The Coaching Podcast. I'm Emma Doyle here with John Buchanan. Thank you, John, so much for meeting with me this morning. We've had a great chat. Um, Look, we'll jump straight into it. The first question is anchovies on a pizza. You either love it or you strongly dislike it. What's your take? Uh, No, I'm not anchovies on a pizza person. Okay. Can you think of a coaching moment that didn't go so well and what might be some of the lessons for our listeners who are both um, sports and business coaches? Yes, look... Probably in my time, there's plenty of uh, coaching lessons that, uh, or coaching um, instances that uh, didn't go well. Um, I, I think um, as a coach, uh, you, you make calls based on your knowledge, your experience, your intuition, and all those sorts of things, plus also your knowledge of the individuals that you're coaching. And uh, if you can get 80% of those right, you're doing well, I reckon. Uh, it's the other 20% that always sort of, um, yeah, you, you think, how could I have done that better? And and for me, uh, in a general sense, um, the reason why it doesn't necessarily go well is because you've ignored either um, signals that you should have been aware of uh, or you haven't spent the time to get to know that individual. So that means then generally you'll say the wrong thing or conversely you may not say anything at all where you should be saying something. Uh, yeah, or um, you will choose the wrong um, location, if you like. Location could be geography, uh, it could be time in space, uh, because that person at that moment is not ready to hear anything, It's not, and, and certainly not ready to hear anything from you. Uh, so in a general sense, that would be when I've, I've made errors as a coach um, and, and kind of look back and think, how, how could I have done that better? And your best coaching moment? Best coaching moment is is the one where you haven't coached. Um, That means, again, that the person has become their own best coach. That means that you've had some impact on them being able to put their game together so that they can then make good decisions when it counts. And you know that what they're doing is good for them but you've had some impact on not only therefore the outcome but the way that they've got that outcome. The second question is the sliding doors question. Yeah look in in some regards um, when I look back on that the sliding door moments are the dreams you know so uh, as a young boy growing up I was going to wear the baggy green cap you know and, and I chased that for as long as I could and then ambition went one direction abilities went the other so that took me into the world of sports administration. So I was going to be this great sports administrator, you know, and, and uh, travel the world and all those sorts of things. And uh, at one stage, I'd got to National Director of Australian Volleyball, living in Brisbane, and they said we we're moving the office to Canberra. So we're not going to Canberra. So that was the end of that dream. Then a couple other steps along the way, I went to Canada, got a master's degree, came back and started lecturing at in uh, at Canberra University in sports administration so the dream then was uh, I'll be a professor in this wonderful world you know the academic world apart from students being there you know uh, but uh, you know that was going to be the dream and then the rules changed you had to have a PhD so I didn't have a PhD so that, that went so eventually that took me into coaching you know and and that um, again sort of happened at a moment in time where I was going to become a deputy 
or a director general in the public service, you know, secure job, work my way up the rung, in sport, in recreation, all those sort of things. So I thought that was great. But Jeff Thompson, who was coaching Queensland Sheffield Shield team at the time, had been doing it for four years. The job was opened up, and uh, I spoke to Ian Healy and Alan Border at the time, and and asked, "Are they serious?" And he said they were. So I said, oh, "All right. Um, hypothetically, if I got the job, would you guys give me an opportunity to coach?" And they said, "Yes, but you've got to demonstrate you could." So the real moment there was it. it it, it was my watershed moment, I suppose, and I think it's an important thing for coaches is that it made me stop and try and work out why I did what I did. So in other words, what, what was my philosophy, what was my value set, what were my key principles, why did I do what I did? And so that's what I then took to the interview and presented that and was uh, somehow fortunate enough to get the job. Fantastic. Uh, the next question is uh, my favourite question. In one to a maximum of three words, what do you think makes a great coach? Passion. Integrity. Challenge. Love it. Thank you so much. And finally, our last question is where we ask you to ask us a question. It's that one thing that always sparks your curiosity. I think it revolves around, obviously, people. So many times these days you'll hear the word time or lack of time uh, being expressed by leaders. And as we've just said before, I think good coaches know their athletes. As much as the athlete wants to let them into their world, they know their athlete. I don't think corporate coaches or corporate leaders um, know their people enough because they don't invest time in trying to get to understand them. So my question to them always is how much time are you putting in to understand your staff? How much time, how much time are you making in your diary to give yourself an opportunity to know your staff? build such important relationships exactly. yeah yeah well thank you so much for being on the show and your time this morning i really value it and appreciate it so thank you john thanks very much emma pleasure damien cummy stevens it is so good to see you i cannot wipe this silly grin off my face i know podcast is audio but i i am i do have this really stupid grin because i get to talk about john buchanan's interview and coaching with you coach talks you how are you my friend i'm good i didn't know it was just audio though i've just been to the beautician and and um taken care of everything no i'm good i'm inspired that was a great interview em yeah thanks yeah i i took the opportunity to reach out i don't know him but i was in queensland a couple of years ago and uh the beauty of podcasts and you know resurfacing these interviews, even though it was quite some time ago uh, when I, I took that interview, 2019, I believe, the content oh. is so still so relevant, isn't it? Oh, it's even more relevant, you know. It really is just so together with his coaching, so solid with his coaching. And it really comes across. I remember, I remember my first awareness of it, actually. So, um, and that your your interview uh, that I, I listened to uh, last night inspired me to uh, look at a few more interviews with him as well, because he's 
he's a very knowledgeable guy about coaching and he really he really understands how he fits into coaching that is something that takes can is a journey isn't it and to find out where you fit into coaching i mean it's it's like as a beginning coach like that is quite an overwhelming statement i'm often asked about elite level of coaching elite coaching but the more i coach the less i think that that's what signifies a good coach i i really feel that a good coach is the coach where he can be most have the most impact somebody who can have the you know they're coaching at their best level with john buchanan he didn't achieve his dreams as he put it as a player you know he wanted to play for australia that didn't happen and in fact you know he barely had a state level career but i go back to this that um those are the guys that often make the best coaches because they do everything they can to get their talent out so they really they really have to develop a, a deep understanding of the game rather than somebody who's got so much talent they can roll out of bed and and you know be be quite successful already you know this is a guy that that obviously had big dreams and and with him uh he he's he's really connected to who he is mm. Mm. i remember him built, i remember the tv shot of him in the um grandstand with laptop and it's like this is this is new this is something else but you know that's that's the direction that he's come from and i i really took something from what he said in, in interviews about and this is i've sort of extrapolated it so it's more meaningful for me but it's basically knowing where to give value and how to give value to especially elite players so you know if for argument's sake one of the top tennis players came to you or called you and said I've heard you're a good coach how are you going to improve my game you know and then you go ah oh you're great you're fantastic you've got the and you know you could be the sort of for one of the better term the sticker fancy coach you know the sort of the half cheerleader half half this or whatever or he he got data he got data and then he's able to be able to give appropriate feedback and also have the courage to give that feedback <laughs> uh, i reckon that's brilliant that gave me another way of thinking about about feedback and coaching yeah yeah and i i want to go back to i can't remember the exact quote you just said a minute ago but it was about knowing who you are as a coach and what resonated for me especially as as you just touched upon that he didn't necessarily play at the highest level is distilling his values to apply for that that job i think it was the sheffield shield job in in queensland he was able to rather than think i shouldn't apply for this job because i haven't you know necessarily donged on the yeah. the baggy green and um but being able for a coach to know who you are you have to know what you value and uh knowing like his approach which really is i i think he does a great job of being a scientist and an artist in in into coaching which what what you just 
highlighted the data and the artistry because in his in his best coaching moment I mean it was singing to my philosophy demo where he said is where you don't coach and I was like who even has the courage to even admit that (laughs) your best I mean no one in the podcast has ever said that before I mean maybe you I really love that analogy to to say to coaches the minute that you've given your players the tools you've made yourself redundant that you can yeah. actually take a step back and exactly. watch the process unfold. And, and you know, my sport of tennis is, is, you know, I hope that we don't go to too much on-court coaching where the coach is jumping in the space the whole time. Because if you've yeah. done your job, then they can problem solve and they can work it out and they yeah. can, they've got the tools to, to maximize their strengths and, and expose weaknesses. So I just, I love that demo. I love knowing who yeah. you are. Bring it, stripping away uh, values. Thoughts? At the World Championships that, that I coached at, traditionally we are actually courtside. But, you know, there's, there's not much we can really do. Normally in that scenario what I'll do is I'll, um, I'll give uh, one or two thing points to the player just before they go on about what's important right now. For example? So, uh, it might be a team situation. If we're two matches down, if we lose, so it's a five-match team. If we lose this next match, you know, it's it trouble. So what I'll I'll need to be able to do is to say, you know, in a positive way, uh, but you know, let's be clear about it. You can't lose this match. So I wouldn't say that, but I, I would say, you know, uh, to to I coach a lot of risk management, you know, terms about that. So sometimes you're in a position where you can. You know, you can have a free go and try to try to win. And there's other times where you've got your back against the wall and the most important thing is to maintain status quo. So you've got low risk tolerance or something like that. I had enough confidence in my team to know that they actually had internalised my message, you know, that they had understand that, understood that. And within the group, they would be reinforcing that. In our competition, there's a uh, five-person team. And within that team, I also assigned um, some various small roles. You know, I wanted you to be aware of this, you to be aware of this, you to be aware of that. So um, my first player, one of their responsibilities was to track the score. So often when you're getting ready to play, so while the other matches are on, for argument's sake, when I play, I don't track the other matches. I'm deeply in, involved in my own thought, but what I need to do is to have that clarity about how much I, you know, my risk management about trying to get the win. Do I need to win? Do I need to win by two points or one, you know, one point or whatever? So I always check in just before I go out. What's, what's required? You know, at the World Championships, I realised that the team has internalised my message and they've internalised what's important. So I actually sat in the grandstand. Well, not in the grandstand, but I sat in the stand and was able to get, I think, a better view of what was going on, a better understanding, and to be able to be more effective uh, in preparation for the next round. So my assistant coaches sat with with the team, and I, I actually went into the um, into the uh, stand, and I felt that that 
was something that I could do because they were at that stage that John said about being able to understand, you know, what's important. They've basically internalized your coaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really love that example of demonstrating that. Uh, that's awesome, Damo. I, I've... Well, it's a weird thing because when we get to the best coaching experiences, we're doing the least. And it's contradictory to how we feel. I'm paid to be a coach. I should coach, right? <laughs> and you've got to say something or, or whatever in this space or this moment. You know, when really the best, the very best thing you can do is say nothing. Just get out of the way. Let the person play. John's John's approach and John's definition of success, I can see that. And, you, you know, I don't, I don't like to use jargonistic words, but empowerment was big a few years ago. Everybody was willing to empower somebody else and all that sort of thing. And um, you know, but uh, so much of the team culture and the team ethic was handled by the team. As a coach, it's it's who's the most effective in handling this and how is the most effective way to do it. And that was one of the things with that Australian team at that time is they did have a lot of really strong personalities, you know, world-leading uh, bowlers and batsmen. They were able to... to to handle each other probably better than an outside influence. And, um, but you need to have them on board with your values and your philosophies as the coach, mm. which becomes the team's values and the team's philosophy. So the coach also has to often give up something too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's a really so good point too. At least adapt to that situation. So can I just touch on results versus process? He's able to quite simply to be able to get those two things to sit alongside each other. I mean, we all know that there's a hard edge and that is outcomes, okay? You don't get the outcomes, you don't get the gig. But we know how to get the outcomes is by our process. Right? And so we become process oriented. And so there's this sort of thing of don't worry about the outcomes, don't worry. Just like, don't look at the elephant in the room. Don't look at the, <laughs> you know, but yet he's got this sort of pragmatic sort of thing as well. You need the outcomes, <laughs> which is so true in uh, other things that I've read about him and, and that, that, you know, he's then sort of got, well, how do you deal with superstars in your team and all of that that goes with it when they might not necessarily be working within the team the way that you want the to work within that culture you know so he's really well thought out and really he's got a very pragmatic approach mm -hmm. to all of this sort of thing so i'm a i'm as you know uh, big on process and uh, my approach has always been you reverse engineer a win so you start off by saying what do we need to do to win what do we need to do to do this outcome and then the focus then becomes on doing that and not kidding yourself that you're doing that. Really do that. Really, really, truly in your own heart of hearts say, yep, I'm doing that. So very recently I saw an interview with um, the Aussie guy playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. Fantastic story. 
um, they're sort of saying, so what's the difference between this year and last year? And he was drafted without ever playing a game of American football. Uh, he did some sort of reality show where, you know, they, they did training. He came for, he was very successful uh, rugby league player, Jordan, something or other. He came out and he said, this year's different because I'm now, I'm now not lying to myself about what I'm doing. I'm now really, you know, before I was kidding myself that I was doing these things and it'd be maybe diet or something like that. Yeah, look, I was dieting and I was doing, you know, doing all the things that I was supposed to. But he wasn't really. You know, when it came down to it and he had a good hard look at himself, he was able to sort of understand that, you know, he's not as strict as he thought he was. And he's not, not that he just intentionally didn't do it, but he just realised, you know, there's room for improvement here. And and now he's pretty much a starting a starting player, if not if not a starting player, very close to it, which as you can imagine, the amount of people that have played American football all their life, you know, from I think they call it Pop Warner or something like that. You know, from the or Pee Wee or something. But from the very beginning as as young kids and then they play in high school and they get scholarship to a university and then you know, it's just incredible. And so this truthfulness, this resonance of truthfulness to yourself and truthfulness and honesty to yourself and to your values, I think, really comes back and uh, delivers. And you know, it, it becomes an asset. It becomes an asset. One of the, it's one of the things that I admire and and work towards is is doing the right thing. At even at the worst moment, to do the right thing. And I think in his um, thing about you know, where did things go wrong? Oh, you know, your worst coaching because you hate anchovies. That's cruel, eh? Nobody likes anchovies. All right. So he's got his worst he's got his worst moment where he hasn't picked up on the cues. Yeah. Or he hasn't uh and then this ties back into his last question about talking to getting to know people. Mm. So being able to um you know, how much time do people get put into getting to know their athletes and their, their workers and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But you know, he's saying he missed the cues sometimes about wrong place, wrong time, or not ready to hear it. And that's a, you know, I, I keep telling people, <laughs> just by saying that, uh, you realise I've got it wrong. I keep telling people that telling people isn't communicating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to mm-hmm. make sure that there is a um, an understanding. <laughs> by asking great clarifying questions. Um, so much there, Damo. Uh, <laughs> I've got like a half a page of notes already, so I hope all our beautiful podcast li- listeners are uh, are doing the same. But uh, I would love to just expand on a couple of things that you said that really resonated for me. If we can go back to reverse engineering from, you know, knowing that we want to win, it's the same in the workplace. It is the same at, yep. for my local level ladies that have just started playing tennis and when we think about that um you know trying to get the win or post the win on the board one thing that i always find fascinating and i don't know if you've experienced this as well but when you've got like say these beginning beginning ladies who really have no expectation yes they want to win because they've just started playing tennis 
yeah. but most of the people they're playing against as are, are experienced or have maybe yeah. played a season or two. So yeah. uh, one of the things that have, has come up already is like, okay, well, they're, they're thinking, oh, my goodness, you know, we've got to raise our game, raise our game. And yeah. when we reverse engineered starting from, yeah, sure, we want to win, but how are we going to do that? One yeah. of the things we spoke about was sabotaging their game and bringing them down to our level. <laughs> <laughs> Now that's a little, it's a little cheeky, but it's, it's, a, it's a concept that I think is very underutilized. Um, <laughs> and I think that, and, and I'm not talking about illegal things to sabotage people. I'm talking about completely legal things, uh, yeah. but ways of rather than trying to raise your game, which could, could create yeah. unnecessary unforced errors. And you're not really that confident yeah. to be able to do that just yet. How yeah. can you sabotage their game by, by making them play our way of playing? So that's our, right. Yeah. Game style. Let them compete to where we are. Yeah. So I, I that's what triggered for me in the, in the reverse engineer was was the concept of sabotage. For me, reverse engineering is about you know, um, well, first of all, a really deep understanding of your game. You know, your SWOT analysis. What, 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 what do I really need to work on to be able to to achieve what I want to achieve? So, and normally that's not the sexy stuff. So you put an athlete out on a court or something, many of them will just, especially in my area where we're fighting. So many people don't want to lose. And so by not wanting to lose, they don't practice their weaknesses. So they keep, they keep practicing their strengths. And that's fine if, if you're not playing one of them as tennis players who wants to drag you into their game. <laughs> Yeah, but if you get taken out of your game, you, you need you know your your level is the level of your worst day. Your level as a player is or as a coach really is your worst day. That's your level. Yeah, you know. So while that while potentially you can you know play out of your skin and all the rest of it to be able to go out there. Needing to do that every day is not going to take you too far. So what you need to be able to do, and this is something that everybody can do, because it's it's not that difficult, is to raise the worst level of your game, to be able to address your shortcomings. And often investing time into that will give you good benefits. It's like one of those more of diminishing returns, I'm sorry. It's early here. <laughs> No, but the law of diminishing returns will tell you that, you know, if you just keep putting effort into your uh, best best game or the best parts of your game, then you're not going to get that much improvement back. But if you can find a way to improve the worst parts, then this will uh, that will make a big difference. Because for me, as a hard-nosed professional coach, I find that... Um, more matches are lost than won. What do you mean? So, well, I I feel, especially with this idea of if you're fighting uh, or playing and um, if you lose this this moment, this set, this whatever, then um, the match is lost. And so making that decision about what's best in that situation is critical. And too many people will go, I have to win this to, 
to stay in the game. Whereas what they really need to understand is I have to limit this. You know, I have to play with reduced risk and then take my chance in the next opportunity and take my, you know, extend my the likelihood of my winning. So it might be when you've got the serve rather than trying to hit the winning, you know, how, trying to hit winners off balls that just aren't there to be hit or shots that just aren't there to be hit. And and therefore you go out because you made bad decisions that really didn't have much to do with your opponent. You made that decision to try to hit that shot off that ball and that's why you lost. Mm. And so I, I have that a lot in my thing too, where people under pressure will make a bad decision and what I have to do, especially in a team situation as opposed to individuals, is to be able to get them to give that up. So to say to them, if it's not there, don't risk it because it's an opportunity for them to be able to hit you. It's an opportunity for you know for them to be able to uh, to win. And so you need to think of the team. And so sometimes the win is actually taking a draw from your particular match in a five-person match. Or to be able to take the one, one point win rather than the two point win or anything, something like that, you know, to be able to think outside your immediate circumstance and to be able, and this is where you internalize the values and the, the team culture and that sort of thing. There's been a bit of a penny drop for me in this chat. We're coming back to the way that you're setting up your team for success. And I think it's got to do with, you know, you were saying before the match, it's almost like they've they've internalised the message. They know the risk reward. So they know the situation. They know the outcome. But then it's like letting that go and ev then everything else becomes about the process, about then in that yeah. moment what they risk reward, not about the win or the loss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's exact, it's it's exactly that. It's It's being able to say this is what's important. Okay, this is what right now. This is what's important, and they go. Then they go. This is my This is my my match, and I'm ready to play. And these are my strengths, and this is my low risk attacks, and these are my high risk attacks. And when I mean high risk, I mean that there are moments in conflict that are opportunities to to be able to be effective or to attack, uh, and to be able to sorry score. And that's at the beginning of an attack. So if I make a stupid attack. That opens me up and somebody can hit me, okay? Uh, it can be during the attack because, once again, I'm exposed and they can hit me as I'm attacking, okay? So just before I'm attacking, person senses it, beats me to the punch, okay? That's one thing. The second thing is while I'm attacking, they're able to make a uh, effective attack. And then at the very last thing is the, the very end of an attack. So all of those opportunities come from a situation where somebody's attacking, somebody has attacked. So the thing is, is to pressure people into doing things they don't want to do. So you pressure them into making the attack that they don't want to make, where they're in a bad position. So that's the match. They're all high-level people, but it's getting them to make a mistake to be able to win with low, low risk. Very rarely does somebody come out that's so much better in, in my area, I, I think in tennis it'd be different because of the power of the serve and all that sort of thing. But you know, in my area, very rarely is somebody so much better that they just they just 
annihilate, you know, they just win on sure, sure skill. 90% of the time, it's because the person's made a mistake and they've capitalized on it. And at the highest level, they've forced the mistake. The, mm. So you have forced the mistake in them. You forced them to make something that they didn't want to do. And I think the more you understand the values and the more you understand the values and how they associate to this moment in the competition, the more likely you are to be successful. And one of the things that Buchanan was able to do or is able to do is to be, and he's done this in Indian cricket as well. And he's done the, you know, obviously he was involved in volleyball. I don't know about his volleyball background or anything, but you know, he's done it across sports and he's done it um, across countries. And so, but one of the things he's able to do is to be able to transmit the what's important to the team as far as their values and, and I imagine beliefs and, and, and that sort of thing. And um, when you have a player that is absolutely aligned, and this is this is why I really love where he's coming from. And one of the things he has spoken about is the, the need to know yourself. And that's exactly the same as the player, the need to know what you're good at, what you're weak at and all the rest of it, and then work at those things. But talk, think about this situation and how you're going to apply what you know about yourself to this situation to get to get a better performance. So, you know, I, I um, he might say, I understand that uh, this player is weak in this area. Uh, might be defective or whatever, and then he's got the um, he's got the um, the value of being able to give that information, and so he can do that, and that's good coaching for him. But if he was trying to be matey with the guy who's not wanting to be matey, and you know, and be the cheerleader and all the rest of it, then the coaching wouldn't be effective, and it just becomes more noise in a relationship that that desperately needs clarity. Especially in cricket, because what you're doing is, is the captain's calling what happens on the field. It's not like you're sending out signals or, or any of this sort of thing. The captain, or in tennis, you're your own captain. You know, it's like you said. I hope that there's not more courtside coaching and that and that sort of thing. And, yeah, I, I really feel that 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 knowledge of self and that knowledge of how can I give value in this in this moment is really important where you're not able to give value, don't try. When you're not qualified in a certain uh, area. or have, And yeah. I think I've always said that our number one goal is to make ourselves redundant. So once we've been able to go as far as we can, you can only do that if you know yourself. Which yeah. back to a young coach. What advice have you got for a young coach? I mean, how does a young coach get to know themselves besides using John Buchanan's great uh piece of advice in his question saying carve out time um carve out the time we're all time poor but it's about getting to know yourself and your and your players to be able to know what value you can you can bring but Damien, what what advice would you say to young coaches that uh -huh. um how, how can they get to know themselves as a coach better well obviously experience but i'm going to talk to you about love em um yeah love so I have a theory, and it's a theory. But the theory is, is that people tell you how they want to be loved or how they receive love. And the way they tell you is by how they give love. 
you know, for argument's sake, there'll be people who do things for people and that's showing love. And so really what I think, to be able to talk their language, you do things for them. That's how you show them love, okay? There are other people that, commun that communicate love through touch, you know, and a nice touch on the shoulder or a stroke of the arm or whatever. Then that will give you a hint about how they want to be approached or how they want to, because, you know, it's that selfless sort of thing. I think, I think sports people are quite similar in the way that they communicate and the way that they think tells you what they what they want back because this is what they're saying this is what's important to me give me the information in this way that i can process and deal with it now don't tell anybody em, because it took me about 36 years to work that out <laughs> but but I, I i think yeah and buchanan he points out you know he says you know how much time do people get to how much time do people spend in getting to know their workers, their, their 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 athletes? And the other thing is, and it was almost a throwaway line, as much as the athletes will let you. And so, uh, you know, some people want to turn up at the, the courts, get some technical feedback about their their thing, and they really don't want to talk too much about or let their social life cross into what they're doing. And they don't want you to have that knowledge. But you know, coaching is intimacy. Coaching is absolute intimacy. When an athlete fails, at least in my experience, and being a strength coach, you know, we work towards failure because we're working right on that edge of what they can and can't do. The first thing they do is look at you for your reaction. The first thing they do. And, you know, it's not about the coach. You know, the coaches is that support and that intimacy is about being involved in that very precious moment where they're completely vulnerable, completely exposed. And like I said, you know, they might define the parameters of that. The athlete will define the parameters of that. Like, you know, we're here to talk about tennis. This is why we're here and this is what we do. But at that moment that it hasn't worked out, the first person they look towards is the coach's reaction to that. And so I think that that's a precious moment and that, that, that should be key. So I would say for beginning coaches, you're not there to, oh, it depends on what level you're coaching again. So you, it, it's, it is possible and I'll, beginning coaches, okay, you, you're probably not going to be coaching elite players, but you might be coaching adults you might be coaching juniors okay so with that involved it's still important to be able to sort of show people that it, it's it's okay to in fact it's desirable to fail in in practice and because you're working at your your boundaries so i would say to create uh an atmosphere in where that 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 is okay and that that's that's what you want and you want them rather than to do the exercise perfectly you want them to risk something you know to be able to take it to that next level and and that requires trust 
you know, in the in the coach and the athlete. So building up that trust, understanding how people want to communicate or how people how people can receive um, feedback and then having the courage to give it to them in a way in which they can act on. If you can do that through passion, uh, well, yeah, passion, which integrity. is love, isn't it? Passion's, passion's the love that, that you show, that you bring up. The trust is the integrity piece. To trust somebody, if they're full of integrity and they walk, their talk, then that the trust can be really built um, on a solid foundation so that you can push them to the edge. This whole podcast, what I'm hearing, Damo, is risk, is risk, 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 low risk, high risk, uh, and how we we measure that, which he, he describes in his third word, which is challenge. Yeah. Living on that edge and pushing people on that edge. The reverse engineering idea, one of the, one of the, problems is is that often we do i'm a big believer in defining your wins defining what a win is so uh 60 people go on a fun run one person wins so yeah obviously people need people who are in there and all defining their wins all defining what's important on this day and they've worked towards achieving that all right so i'm a big believer in that at the elite level that's that's less definable, but in his, um, you know, in his approach, especially at that time when he was, um, you know, introducing more hard data and that sort of thing, people could achieve a good cricket thing like hit hit a century or um, and feel that that was a good day. But if they dropped three catches, or if they didn't, no, that's 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 that. That's not a good example because that's just outcome driven. But maybe they didn't chase hard enough, or maybe they felt that they'd done their job and they're just sort of standing back and leaving it up to others and not really participating as well. Something like that. Then he's got he's able to tell them that he's able to give feedback, say great knock, but or not but, but great knock, and this would have been you know it would have been a great day. Alternatively, if you want to achieve a greater level of a higher level of performance you've got to be able to give up what you're doing now because when you're what you're doing now has got you to the level of what you're doing so you've got to say well, where am i going to perform where am i going to find the next the next ladder level not ladder level where am i going to find that next level how am i going to occupy that next level of player of performance and that's by being able to address the things that you're not addressing now you know that that you know you're weak at you really do need that out you really do need to know you know what am i good at what aren't i good at what do i need to improve uh as you know uh, in, in my last few years i was chasing a seventh time grading in my in my uh martial art and i failed about I remember, I think it was four times, which, you know, isn't unusual. It's only a 10% pass rate at that level. But the point of it was is that I actually thought it was a blessing. I really, And I didn't really even have to turn it around because I found out things about myself that if I'd been success, 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 I would never have had to have looked at. 
I'd be going, oh, oh great. <laughs> I don't need to worry about, you know, I've achieved this, that and the other. Whereas realistically, if uh, this forced me into saying, well, I can do this, but why aren't I passing this 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 exam? And, you know, the reason was, you know, I have to do more of this or focus a bit more on that or be a bit, you know, and they're not major things, but they're the things that will get you to the next level, not not just doing what you're good at or not blaming everybody else or not all that sort of thing. Yeah, two things have popped up in just listening to you. Well, about 25 things have, to be honest, but I just want to draw on two things. Uh, I did an exercise with uh, a, a WTA player once on this with regards to just, you know, we were having a snapshot. We were having a review of where she was at. Mm-hmm. And we, we we made, it was a fun sort of brainstorming exercise where I had her list everything she knows about her game. Yeah. And then she thinks that she's faking. So a lot of people would say, okay, you know, you're really quick. But did she think she was quick or was she faking that she was? So it was yep. no fake. And then what is it that she thinks she does? So what is That's- it she actually does? And then what is it that she understands? What could she teach to someone else how to do? Yeah, that's brilliant. So uh, it's, only it's, because I've, I've done something similar. similar. No <laughs> doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah. Just as I was about to tell you about when I was the love coach and I did doubles <laughs> for singles, doubles for couples, and I had the oh, yeah. taste formula. So yeah. uh, so anyway, but we'll, we'll talk about that offline. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, but, but here's the thing, right? Here's the yeah. thing. One of the things that I did, not not exactly the same, but I got people to rate themselves in all of the all of the different areas, including and some of it was fairly. So you had you might be broad thing about footwork, but it might be uh, even more specific stuff about footwork. You know, this circumstance or that. So I got them to rate themselves, and what because I couldn't understand why, as a group people weren't improving as well. And I realised that they actually think they're better than they they are. Because we, then I sat down with the coaches and I said, and then we rated them. So we had their rating and our rating. And where they rated themselves highly, we often, we were in some cases nowhere near that in our rating of them. So they couldn't hear the feedback that we were giving them about that particular area because they thought, they had it under control. So there's always that sort of process, not process, but that sort of situation of, you know, what's really happening here? Let's strip it away. Mm. Let's find out what is really happening here. You know, and we've that, and in fact, on the weekend, I'm running a seminar down in Hobart. Um, and, you know, a lot of it's about doing that, about it's not, well, you've got, paradigms of thinking and then you've got um you know delusional thinking <laughs> about you know where you are effective and there's one or two people who always think they're going to score with a particular thing that they're terrible at but they won't be told because it's their you know it's the thing that they think is so great and all the rest of it you go you've got to get rid of that out of your game because when you do that, this is the outcome. And if you can go to them and say, eight out of 10 times you've done this, you've lost. <laughs> but they might love it. You know, they might love that technique. And I go, eight out of 10 times you've lost. And 
I'm all I'm all for taking risks in in training, but um, to be able to yeah, well, I mean risk. I don't just mean stupidly. I mean calculated risks. I do believe that when you're competing, it's about you know it's about as you said bringing the game into your court, bringing the game into your style, and to be able to fight fight as low risk as you can to being scored upon and as most effectively as you can to making your to, for you to score. Yeah, uh, people need to be able to work out how to, how to push is another thing. Mm-hmm. How to push the envelope. Mm-hmm. How to actually do that. Yeah. And then how to do that in a way which is going to benefit their game by addressing weak points. Mm-hmm. And in the business world, uh, on the co- total flip side, because we have some business coach listeners that are always trying to gain insight. There's only one business. <laughs> business <laughs> of sport, but uh, but learning from sport. Um, but no, yeah. he 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 said something to me because you know, we were talking about two types of coaches: those that focus on your strengths and those that focus on weaknesses. In in a conversation we had, and he and then he said, and the and the ones who focus on strengths only. What they do with the weaknesses is you either borrow, barter, or you just buy <laughs> um, <laughs> rather than addressing your weakness. <laughs> Very good short-term solution uh, <laughs> in the corporate world. You know, again, everyone plays sport at a different level as well and sometimes focusing on your strengths and just especially if you play doubles, for example, in tennis, you don't, you know, if you have a weak backhand, you don't need to cover the entire court. You can pretty much play doubles where you you, you hit a limited number of backhands to really hide yeah. that hide that weakness. Yeah. So there's so there's that element as well. But I think what the through line go back to the concept of know thyself and know yeah. thy athlete. Carve out the time, yeah, in order to better understand them that is in line with your values and the values of the team will I think put people in in a in a great um stead for their future. I agree completely, yeah. I think that that's life sport, it's this constant response to change, you know, to challenges. And Buchanan he said had the dream of playing in the baggy dream, playing for Australia. And that didn't happen. And then so then he was going to become a sports administrator and then he got his master's and then they required PhD. Didn't have a, no, PhD, they didn't have PhD. So he didn't have a PhD. Then, so that, that was a change. Then the volleyball thing where they got located out of Canberra. He didn't want to move cities or states. So that was a change. These things, to be able to focus on how to solve this problem or that problem, is never is never going to give you long term success. I think it gets back to your overarching values and how they how they apply to this moment. And you know, he's responded to those things as challenges. You know, I can't play for Australia, but I will be the world's best sports administrator. Okay, I can't do that. I'll be the world's best academic. Ah, uh, no, I can't do that. Ironically, you know, coaching. I don't know if it ever was, never was on his radar, but it was the thing where he landed. I just think that for for athletes and starting coaches and all the rest of it, you are going to get continuous challenges. 
but you need a rudder. You need a rudder as a coach. And um, it was interesting that after he left, after his coaching period ended with the Australian team, then they got into the, well, it wasn't directly after, but yeah, the, you got the ball tampering thing and you got a few other things where you go, massive culture change in in the team and, and how you know that affected that affected the Australian national population greatly. But the sense that if you have an understanding of your values, if you operate with integrity and passion, people have to respect that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a force of nature. Yeah. It's not to bulldoze other people or, or anything, but it's to be able to give momentum to to ideas. Yeah. To be able to sort of navigate when things get tough. And when things do get tough, and especially in coaching, they get black. You know, because we can go from coaching at national, international level to being unemployed in I'd say two or three years. You could win a world championship and be unemployed in three years' time. It's possible. And so I, I think getting in touch with that is hugely important. And you look at some of these uh, people in business and they don't really understand what they do. You know, you think you do this, but you're actually doing that. You can't go forward in life if that's where you're at. All you're doing is marking time, wasting time. Better to be able to not take things so seriously to say there's another day like you know when i when i failed my exam the first time it was the first time i failed a kendo exam and mm. it's like in 35 years and it's like oh okay and then lo and behold the sun came up i thought shit <laughs> it was a day after you know and then i had to go back in the dojo and, and start leading training again it was like oh crikey <laughs> you know, all these people are still here. And I I don't believe winning is as important as what you do to win. Because that's what defines you. Not that the fact that's a title that, that you you know, that's your dinner party title. Yeah, here's Emma Doyle, ex college. Uh, AIS performance coach, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's your dinner party thing. But who you are is what you did to achieve to do that. That's who you are. And that's that's the person that gets, that's that's the competitor. That's the person on the court. That's the person in the boardroom. That's the person on the sales floor. That's, that's that person. What did I have to, what did I do to get here? Because if you're going to sit here and go, oh, crikey, I should be able to beat this person or achieve this or that because I'm the national champion. You know, it, that doesn't do anything, right? But if you're the person that's run your 10 kilometers at 4 a.m. for the last six years religiously or whatever, then, yeah, under the lights, you'll be able to achieve it. And that's what you go back to. What did I achieve to be successful? We need to value that 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 journey, that road, and that once again, passion, the fuel, uh, integrity, the ability to be able to do things even when nobody's watching. Work on your, you know, courage to work on your weaknesses. And then in training and in, in sparring, I probably win about something like 60 to 70% of my time, if that, against 
a lot less experienced people mm. only because I'm not going to achieve my goal if I just beat them with my strength. I even know what they're going to be able to, you know, I know what they're going to do. Um, I'm sort of at that level where you can see what's coming, but I'll still try to beat that with a lesser, a, a more difficult technique or a less, a less sure technique rather mm-hmm. than just go, oh, I'm not going to let you win. I'm going to nullify that and then beat this. You know, so I try to raise them up and then also raise myself up by Ableton. Yeah. And so, but come competition time, that's different. I don't go there. I mean, in competition, I'm winning. Yeah. Well, you know, Damo, I, as always, would love to keep chatting about coaching with you all night long. Uh, however, I think it's time to uh, to thank John Buchanan for oh, his time. And uh, everyone, SWOT analysis, sit alongside the hard edge. Another just a nice through line to wrap up this episode on the coaching podcast. But this special edition is, of course, called Coach Talks with the one and the only Damien Carmody Stevens. I call him Damo, known him for years. He pushes me to be a better coach. And I hope all of you out there also took a page of notes like I did. Thank you, Damo, always for your insights, especially right at the end. There was so much gold dust in the, those last uh, 10 minutes. And, uh, yeah, we welcome everybody's feedback. And, uh, Damien, I appreciate you. Yeah, thanks, Em. Go hard or go home, girl. Absolutely. (laughs) Bye, everybody. See ya. The Coaching Podcast was brought to you by Emma Doyle and Simon Blair. And if you enjoyed this episode, please remember to give it a rating and a review on your podcast listening device.